You're listening to The Morning Muster, where we get sailors together to listen to the weather report and, well, to talk about the most important topics of the day. So grab a cup of hot chai. Or a coffee. I'm Teresa Carey. And I'm Ben Carey. This podcast is produced by Morse Alpha. We offer rigorous coastal and offshore sail training expeditions. Check out morsealpha.com. This episode is sponsored by Scanmar International. Scanmar designs and manufactures high-quality cruising products for both power and sailing vessels. Scanmar is probably best known for the monitor wind vane. Between Ben and I, we've had three monitor wind vanes, one on each of our boats. And especially when you're sailing solo or on long passages, it's like having an extra crew aboard. We made a video about how it works. It's called Monitor Wind Vane Explainer on our YouTube channel, Sailing Simplicity. And for even more information, check out scanmarinternational.com. Stone walls are crumbling and the trees are coming home. Why don't we just start by talking about who we've got here? We've got Ray Cullum and Deborah Gale. And you guys are both Marion Bermuda Race veterans. Is that right? I would say so, yeah. Um, I, I know uh, Ray's been involved in the race a lot longer than I have. Um, I've been doing the race since... 2001, I have 10 Marion Bermuda races under me and two Newport Bermuda races. So yeah, I've got a little bit off short time. Good. And Ray, what about you? How many races have you done? Well, I, my first race was in 1999 uh, and I've done eight races uh, and I've been on the committee since, well, probably been 2002. Uh, and and uh, Deb and I have worked together on this uh, basically ever since. She's done a lot of Bermuda races, Newport and Marion. Wow, twelve races, uh, Deb, and eight races for you, Ray. That's that's right. That is quite a lot, and especially since it's uh, well every other year. So that's great. And have you sailed? Have you guys sailed out to Bermuda not racing? Uh, I I have not. No, um, I've only been there via <laughs> via boat or airplane. But never uh, recreationally, let's say. Well, it is recreationally, but um, I really only raced to Bermuda. So I did a delivery down in November of 99 and then um, delivery back actually from the Caribbean in, in 2000. And I think I, I delivered a boat down there another time. But the race is always exciting. I've done a couple of, bunch of deliveries down, but I've never raced. So this is I'm excited to get into the race thing here. And what is it that basically keeps you guys coming back? Because that's a lot of races. You For know? me, it's um, I did a lot of around the buoy racing uh, growing up and, and um, in different parts of the East Coast. And uh, after a while, uh, I got a little bored with that. And uh, I hadn't done any offshore racing uh, until 99, actually. Uh, a gentleman here in Marion gave me an opportunity to crew on his boat, and I did. And I just absolutely fell in love with offshore racing. Uh, it's a totally different headset than racing around the buoys. It's a, it's a much more, I think, much more thoughtful uh, approach to racing. Uh, there's many things that you need to consider that you don't think about uh, in racing around the buoys. And, you know, you're out there for four or five days. So um, you have to have a level of compatibility with your crew. You have to have a... Uh, certainly a um, uh, confidence in your boat, a well-founded boat is necessary. I, I just love it. I mean, it's just you get on that boat and you get out into the ocean and you realize that it's just you and you and the ocean and the, and the, and the, and the weather. And it, it's fun. It's just a lot of a lot of confidence builders uh, for everyone aboard. And every every race is a challenge. You never have a, two races the same. Um, you may have one race that, you know, you have very little wind and the next race you will have 40 knots. So it's, uh, it varies dramatically. And the boat you races, you race on versus around the buoy is a totally different animal. Uh, and again, I, I like sailing on a well-founded boat and that's what you'll find in an, uh, an ocean race. We have an acceptance committee for Marion Bermuda that uh, would not accept a boat that they didn't believe would be able to go offshore. And there have been a number of boats that weren't accepted uh, into the race because of that. Uh, So it's the comfort you have. It's really a comfort level. I uh, Actually, when I get offshore, all of a sudden, 
you know, any everything drains. I, I just feel relaxed and comfortable. And um, <laughs> even though you may be 600 miles from shore and a helicopter can't reach you, you still feel good about what, where you are. And it's fun, especially if you have a, a crew that you really enjoy. And, and that really makes it really makes it a, a, a nice experience. Absolutely. Crew is huge, huge factor in it, I would assume. And Deb, what about you? You've done a whole bunch as well. So what brings you back? Uh, you know, it's, it's funny, and I, I couldn't agree more heartily with what Ray was just saying. I, I think racing around the buoys makes you, skill-wise, a better sailor, but going offshore makes you much more confident. And I think a combination of the two is really very compelling. I remember my first my first number of times offshore, my, especially my first one, which was a delivery, I got on, got back on land saying, I'm never doing this again because we had hit a tropical depression and it, it was pretty rough. And there were only three of us sailing back from Bermuda on a delivery. And that lasted about, you know, three or four hours. And then I just couldn't wait for my next trip. And it just, you get the best sailing and the worst sailing all in one you know, five or six day period. You know, some days you can have these absolutely phenomenal trips and, um, and, and sometimes it's, you know, you remember every single race and you remember the crew, you remember the weather. And sometimes you've have, you've got, you know, 25 to 30, you know, not winds and big seas and you're just falling off a wave. And then the next day you could be becalmed. <laughs> so, and it kind of gives you a chance to dry out a little bit. But I guess it's just, it's exciting. It's beautiful. There's, there's nothing like going on watch at a 2 a.m. watch. And, you know, you could be the only one on deck. And it's just, a, it's really empowering almost to just be out there. And whether the weather is good, the weather is not as good. But it's and just be behind the helm of a boat that you have a lot of confidence in. And I think Ray mentioned confidence in the crew, and that is paramount. I've been on a few races with catch rides uh, at the last minute, just kind of getting on board. Somebody needed an extra crew. And it, it just really hasn't been the most enjoyable experience. Um, you don't know the capabilities of the other crew. Uh, and so I, I think to go with crew that you love and you love being with and on a boat that you feel really safe and confident. And when you cross the finish line and when you get down and cross past St. David's Light, it's it's just great. There's always a whoop and a holler. And um, whether you get a prize or not, it's just a, a great feeling. I, I think that for thinking about it, the, the biggest difference between around the buoys and an ocean race is self-sufficiency. See. You know, if you break something when you're racing around the buoys, it's within, you know, probably within an hour, you're going to be back on the mooring and, you know, taking care of it. When you're ocean racing, if you break something, you're not going to be back on the mooring and you don't have that opportunity to take care of it. You have to fix it wherever you are. And it has to be something that's going to last because you're in an environment that's going to break it again if you don't fix it properly. And I guarantee you, almost every race, you break something. And something has to be fixed, and you have to be ready to do it. So a level of self-sufficiency is is really required, and I think that's really part of the challenge, and for me, part of the enjoyment. That's a great that's a great point. And I, I sell a lot offshore, just all women, and typically, like like if I I've sailed with Ray offshore a few times, and he knows his boat cold, and and there's nobody I'd rather sail offshore with. And because I know I've got such confidence in him, but he could do everything. So when I sail with with my friends offshore, um, you know, in these races, all women, there might be six of us, but each one of us has a real specialty, whether it's fixing something or navigating or medical. Um, And it's just kind of a a, some of the parts is is greater than, you know, or the the whole is greater than the sum of the parts. Um, But the self-sufficiency is key because you don't know what's going to break. You don't know what's going to happen. Um, I've been on a Bermuda race where our batteries died and we had to titrate almost every bit of energy just to try and, you know, balance where we were and record where we were. And um, just, you know, I think we were three days out of Bermuda. So you, you really need to be very self-sufficient. One of my things I'm wondering about is how different it's going to feel than doing a delivery. I've done a number of deliveries to Bermuda. 
but I've never raced. And I'm just wondering what the pace is going to be like uh, if it's a go, 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 constantly pushing the boat as hard as possible. Um, whereas when I'm doing a delivery, I'm trying to you know, make sure the boat gets there in one piece and break as few things as possible. Is, is that how it's going to be, do you think? Is it going to be go, 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 go? I don't know. I think from, from past experiences, whether it's been with Newport or Marion Bermuda, I think we tend to push the boat, but you have to know your boat and you don't want to push it to a point where something's going to break or a sail's going to rip. So, you know, there, there have been races where a lot of other boats have had inventory shredded and, you know, you We've said, okay, we're going to reef it early. We're just going to be a little bit more conservative. But you're there when, when watch shifts change. You know, there's always tweaking. You're always looking at your sails. Uh, but I think you have to get into a certain pace. You have to pace yourself because you can get it's, – it's five or six days, and you can, you can get pretty tired. So you really just want to pace yourself. You want to rest when you can. But I think the lead-up is very special. Uh, we start out of Marion. And so for the week prior to the race, the race starts on a Friday, you have boats that start coming in and you see at Beverly Yacht Club, which is one of the sponsor clubs, people coming in that you know are sailors, but you don't know. So there's just this real camaraderie and people will just, you know, be very friendly, but knowing that there is a race and there's a lot of excitement and then we'll have a crew dinner and hopefully 2021 will will not be an exception and we can kind of have that camaraderie that we always have. So, and then the start of the race, it's just, it's very exciting. So it is very different from a delivery. Um, and you do want to push the boat, but you don't want to break anything. You don't want to hurt, you know, ruin your sails at all because you really, the objective is to getting, get there and get there safely and as quickly as possible. So there, it's a balance. Deb's exactly right. I mean, you have to know your boat and you're, you, you have to know its limits. Uh, as I said earlier, um, we race on well-founded boats, so their limits are very high. Uh, they're built to do ocean, ocean crossings. Uh, so uh, that's extremely important. But, you know, you, you also have to make it a little bit fun on the boat. One of the things that we do, you know, as far as keeping the boat moving, down below on our boat, we have a, a whiteboard. And on the whiteboard, the watches kind of write notes to each other, you know, and they sort of poke each other for uh, different things. Like one watch may say, oh, we just averaged 7.8 knots for the watch. Beat that, you know, kind of thing. Or, you know, at the top of the whiteboard, I put in big letters, remember we're racing. And I and then under 100 hours. That's always our goal, under 100 hours. But you are racing. Now, we're not the type that you know, I don't ask the crew to sit out on the rail. I just don't do that. Uh, I said, you know, we're we're here to race and we're here to keep the boat moving. Uh, we have an autopilot, which we're allowed to use, but we very seldom use it because by steering a boat, uh, you can take advantage of wind shifts and wave patterns and lots of other things that you that an autopilot doesn't do, even with the modern autopilot. They're not quite that intuitive. So generally, unless we have extremely light air, that's about the only time we'll ever use an autopilot on a boat. And everyone gets to know the feel of the boat and how to sail it and how to make it move. Uh, right on our bulkhead in our cockpit, I have our polars. And it shows you at, at what wind speed and what direction, how fast you should be going. And your goal is to beat that polar, is to stay above that number all the time and do what you need to do to do that. So uh, as I mentioned about the whiteboard, remember you're racing because that's what you're doing. It's not a delivery. You know, when we bring the boat back from Bermuda, if we go below six knots, we turn the engine on. So uh, that's a little bit different than going down. So mm -hmm. uh, that's, that's where it, it really isn't a delivery. So, you know, Again, I'm going back to around the buoys. Around the buoys is, you know, you're up and down and you're on the rail and you're up, up on the bow. You're, you're back. You're balancing your weight. You're, you're, you're trimming, 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 trimming all the time. On When you're racing offshore, um, you, you are trimming. You, you're, you are doing it, but you're not doing it every 90 seconds. So it's a little bit different. Uh, different approach. You try to set sails properly, have the right sails in place, 
make sure they're trimmed properly, uh, but it's not quite as intense as going around the leeward mark. Right. I suppose it's the difference between a uh, 100-meter dash and a marathon to some degree. Exactly. Exactly. I think that's a, a great analogy because, you know, unless you're running that marathon on a treadmill, you know, you don't have the mountain, I mean, the hills, you don't have um, your ruts in the road and, um, and, the, and the different types of, of surfaces, which you would have. And then I agree with Ray about the autopilot, because um, if, if you're in a big sea, you want to be able to steer up the wave and, and cut it down and, and really manage your waterline length on the, on the water itself. Um, and I think one of the other things, and Ray, I like your whiteboard idea. That's great. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. We, um, you know, so we, we play a lot with uh, VMG, Velocity Made Good, and it's the same thing. You know, it's similar where, you know, we're, we're constantly trying to, to maximize our VMGs on our boat because it's just it's a little bit easy. We don't have the polars on. It's a, it's a Stellar 52 that I've been sailing on, and we don't have polars on that boat that are have been developed. So we basically use VMG, and, and then that's been, you know, it's, it's, it's right up there in front of you, and you can utilize it pretty well and see what, what you're doing. Well, I think one of the other things, too, is um, is uh, your, your watch chain, your watch shifts. And we, we try to have an overlap to have at least the person that's rolling off the helm stay topside and, and work with the new helm, you know, give um, an overview of what happened on the shift, um, what's the weather doing, you know, what's the waves doing, uh, and, and just overall. So I think that, that that's important. But the, the other funny thing about you can think that you have your boat just trimmed perfectly, and then there's a change in shift. And as soon as somebody comes up, what they immediately do is start tweaking the sails. So true, isn't it? <laughs> You're on a Stellar 52, or you have been. And Ray, what are you sailing? Uh, I sail a Dixon 44. It's a, it's a one-off boat uh, mm-hmm. design, designed in the U.K. and built in New Zealand. She's really a true cruising boat. She's not a racing boat by any stretch of the imagination. She's not a condo boat. She doesn't sleep nine people on 44 feet. She's, she's, she's small as far as sleeping is concerned, but she's a comfortable boat. And I call her our geriatric boat because everything's roller furl. Uh, we have electric winches. And um, so we'll be, the good thing about this is we'll be able to use this boat for many years in the future. So, you know, having those uh, extra things like that, the roller furl system, boom and main and, and boom, main boom and, and uh, Genoa and electric winches really makes a difference. But, you know, there are things like <laughs> when we race, we turn off the winches. We don't have electric winches when we race. And basically, once you put up the main, it's up main up for, up for the whole race. You may change your Genoa, you know, at some point if you need to. But uh, the main's up and uh, the winches go dark. You know, the crew uses a winch handle like everybody else. Makes it mm-hmm. makes it easy. <laughs> How big of a crew are you sailing with? Uh, I sail with a crew of four total. Oh, yeah. Uh, one of my crew, uh, he and I have been sailing together since my first race in 1999. And, I mean, we don't even have to talk to each other. We know exactly what to do, in, uh, you know, in different situations. And he's a very talented sailor. Um, just a joy to sail with. And we go celestially. So I have a celestial navigator that I've known for probably, you know, 10, 15 years. And uh, he's our he's our navigator. And the other gentleman is uh, a friend. You know, he and I have enjoyed each other's company for a lot of years. And uh, he's a good crew member. One of the things I was thinking that one of the real differences between and thinking about the uh, the makeup of a crew from around the buoys to ocean sailing is that around the buoys, what you really need is you need people who are really good tacticians and really good sail trimmers that will, that will win races for you going around the buoys. What you, what you need when you're doing ocean sailing is, yeah, you need to be a tactician and you need to be um, a good sail trimmer, but you also need to be a seaman. Uh, And because as I said earlier, things, Things go boom in the night. And without being a seaman, without having that ability to handle those situations, um, you're going to be in trouble if you can't. So seaman is something I would add to you know, what you're looking for as in, a, in an offshore sailor. Yeah, that whole seamanship thing is really interesting. It's such a, uh, 
an all-encompassing word, seamanship. <laughs> so a lot. There's a lot to it. Yeah. Uh, and and Deb, you've been sailing with. Oh, I was going to ask you, Ray. Is that you've been sailing with that same crew for a few years now? We started. I didn't sail my boat until 2017. Mm-hmm. And yes, we've had the same crew since 2017. So only two races yeah. uh, we've done. But I've sailed with one of the gentlemen um, since '99. And on several right. different races, yeah. Right, right. Cool. And Deb, what's your crew look like? Well, we have a, a, the boat's a little bit bigger. Um, we've, we've always gone on, on this boat, all women, and I had been racing all women on a Beneteau 42 for a few years before that. So we've been racing together since 2009. Uh, the boat has three cabins in it, three separate cabins, and, and then there's the main salon. So we've actually gone up to eight people which is too many for that boat. Uh, and just it, it was just too much for the crew. I think we, we comfortably go about six. That's we've done uh, six for the past couple of years. And we've had a, a core crew of, of four of us, which has worked very, very well. And we've been friendly since 2009. And you know since then, we've sailed in the Mediterranean and sailed down in the Caribbean and taken the boat up to Canada and done a lot together and are, are still all very good friends. But yeah, we, we basically have the core. And um, e- each one of us kind of is, is a go-to for some dimension if something goes wrong. So that, that kind of uh, alludes to um, the seamanship comment that Ray was making. When you're the, the, the chocks and the, and the mast just fell to the cabin floor and it was in the middle of a big blow and you just you have to be you have to figure out how to do it and, and how to make it work and how to stabilize the mast and you know what went wrong and how do we fix it and you think you have the luxury of time but when it's you know in 15 17 foot seas and it's blowing 25 to 30 you, you've got to fix it and fix it quickly okay cool so you're, you're running mostly six people ray you're doing four i'm gonna probably shooting for six is what i was planning on but the fun thing that i have is i have all new crew so that makes it exciting uh, I, 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 I would just say you know time in the boat time in the water and um i i remember with the 12 uh we've spent a lot of time man overboard drills and 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 tacking the boat and you know rigging this rigging the boat and it's got like ray's boat is has a leisure furl and it's this one's pretty persnickety and you know we just we would have all these drills of you know you know of trying to get the of getting that leisure furl up and getting it down and if you on this boat if you uh, lower the halyard too quickly then it starts to to curl out um and you know, then we would stop and say, look, this is what happens when you do this. And it was a long time to, to do all these rotations. But by the end of it, people knew how to do this in the dark. Sail changes and reefing happens 24-7. Um, you can't just wait for, uh, you know, daylight to do something. So just it's a, it's a learning experience. You have to learn what you're it's learning the boat. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a really good point that you bring up about sail changes at the night. That's the sort of thing like when I was asking about go, 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 where if you were just delivering a boat, you might wait till the sunlight to make a sail change. But I would assume in a race, you're just going to make the sail change two in the morning whenever you need to. Yeah. I mean, especially, you know, if the wind lightens up, that's easy. If it doesn't and it, it gets a little, gets stronger, um, you know, then, then you, you really have to do it and you know, you might be off watch, but you'll hear the, you know, you'll hear that cell, you know, the main cell coming down. And then, then of course, you're quickly up in your foul weather gear and grabbing your harness and going up topside to see if you can help. And I know a lot of times, you know, you check the weather forecast, we'll have serious weather and, you know, we'll, we'll download weather and we'll kind of be a little preemptive on it. If we think it's going to blow, we'll reef early. And I think that's that's another thing. We reef early, reef early and often. Of course, yeah, I'm a big proponent of that. That kind of brings me over to something I wanted to talk about a little bit about. You, you had mentioned man overboard drills and getting to know the boat and that sort of thing and and uh, tethers. And I want to just go into some of the safety requirements. I've gone over the list a number of times and uh, real real interested to hear how you develop that list and, and what you find to be uh, the most important things or issues that you have with safety and people complying, et cetera, et cetera. 
our safety uh, requirements are based on the world sailing requirements for offshore category one racing. So it's not something that, you know, we all sat around the table and decided what we should have. It's, it's really a prescribed uh, level of requirements. Now, the Marin Bermuda race will make changes to those based on um, the race itself and what we're going to require or the level of the requirement. So we can have some flexibility in that, but we stay fairly close to what the World Sailing Organization uh, prescribes for. I mean, we're a category one race, which means uh, the only bigger race is a category zero. Uh, Category zero means that you're so far offshore, you know, don't even expect help to come. With a category one race, it basically means you're so far offshore, don't expect any help for a long time. Uh, as, I, as I mentioned, you're, you're about 600 miles offshore when you're doing Marion Bermuda, and a, a helicopter, uh, you know, a search and rescue helicopter cannot reach you at 600 miles. So, you know, you're going to be at the call of either a boat that's near you or a commercial vessel. So the, the safety requirements are really, really important. And when you, in fact, it's required by the Marin Bermuda race that you and your crew go out and you practice man overboard, you practice heap to, you practice reefing, you practice putting up storm, storm sails. Uh, that's a requirement. Uh, you sign something that says, hey, I've done all of these things with my crew. You know, I've had the same crew for two races but I guarantee in 2021, we'll do it again because, you know, things change. The equipment changes. The the techniques change. I mean, with the way you turn your boat for a man overboard now, that's changed over the last couple of years. So you need to go out and do those things. The equipment list, quite honestly, you're right. It's extensive. But the way I've always looked at it is that I would want all of these things on my boat anyway. My wife and I like to travel on our boat. And I wouldn't go offshore. Uh, I wouldn't sail our boat to Canada or anywhere else without these things on our boat. So even though you say, wow, that's a lot of things I have to do on my boat, you know, like making sure your floorboards won't go up and making sure your mast won't come out of the boat and making sure that you right have the right equipment in order for a man to go overboard, they're, they're all good things. They really are, whether you're whether you're uh, sailing in the Gulf of Maine or, or sailing a boat to the Azores. They're all good things to have. One of the requirements that we have is that you take a safety at sea course, which includes the uh, world sailing uh, offshore survival, personal survival portion, which is a hands-on course, which means you get into the water with a PFD, uh, you get in the water and get into a life raft and, and uh, you put out a fire and you go through certain medical techniques. So it's really an important part of doing the race, any, any offshore race, actually, and, and off the uh, East Coast, certainly Marion and Newport. But this year, it's a little different. Uh, we're not going to have a safety at sea. Uh, seminar that we normally have in March. So we had to look at our safety at sea requirements and see how we could adjust those. So we have. Uh, we, we didn't want to make it a looser requirement, but what we've said is that we need to go back and look at what we were doing, how it, how it worked, and how we could supplement that. And that's what's happened with the new requirement. Uh, one of the things that's happening with safety at sea, and it started about a year ago, is that there are some very good online courses. Now, I'm, I'm a proponent of online courses for certain information, but nothing ever beats hands-on, believe me. But uh, we have some online courses that U.S. Sailing offers that allows you to get pretty well uh, acclimated to what you would have to do in any any situation offshore. Uh, and it's, it's, it's not just a course, you have to take a test and pass the test. So it's, it's a pretty good, pretty good alternative. Uh, so we have made our requirements, direct our requirements. So it's more toward that type of approach, uh, this year. Now, granted, uh, we have a lot of people that have already taken the safety at sea, uh, with the hands-on portion and so on. And in fact, quite honestly, the majority of the people that are registered for the race are there, but there are some that are not. 
Um, and I know, I know what you're doing, Ben, and you know, with your training and so on, and your, your people are going to have to take that course, have to take that online course, which is good. It's a good course and it's a good information. Uh, and they have two sets of modules now, one sort of a, uh, a overview of the hands-on portion and one is the, uh, the, the straightforward lecture. We're not relaxing the requirements because we think they're extremely important, but we are being open to what is available and how we can, you know, handle it for this year. I can guarantee you that in 2023, uh, we will not relax. It, as long as COVID has right. left us, we will not relax those requirements and those requirements will be uh, back to where they would normally be as they would have been in 2019. Mm-hmm. Um, I had never taken the in the water or the the hands-on section, and it was eye-opening. It was it was just even if I don't race, you know, I keep telling people you, sh- you should just do this. You sail, you go offshore. This is something. These courses are something you, from a safety perspective, you really should have. It's it's really um, very eye-opening. And one of the other things that that I found was so interesting about the requirements for the race. So the, the boat that I sail on, the Stellar, my friend bought it with her husband, um, and you know they were going to sail around the world. And it wasn't until um, she took over the boat on her own, and she started getting ready to ready for the race, and she said, "Wow, this boat could never have gone off, never have gone offshore, much less around the world." And she went and made all those changes. And it, as Ray said, you know, those changes give you a better boat, a safer boat. And, you know, I, I think it's it's a great combination whether you're going to do the race or not. Just going offshore and knowing that your boat is is ready for these conditions, it's, it's really uh, very compelling. Yeah. What, one of the things that the Marion Bermuda race requires is that every boat be inspected. Mm-hmm. And we have qualified inspectors to do just that. And they're very, very experienced sailors. Uh, and they really know you know, about boats and and how to do things. But what we always want to be clear with anyone who's having a boat inspected is we're inspecting that boat to get you into the race, not to keep you out of the race. And that inspector has a whole portfolio of solutions that you can use in order to meet the requirements. Give you an example, very simple one. My, My first race on my boat, I had done everything on my checklist uh, except one thing, and I was hoping my inspector would help me with that. And very simple thing, I have a, a top-loading icebox, and it wasn't latchable. I couldn't put a secure latch on it the way it was was built, and I was frustrated. You know, how am I going to fix this? Well, the inspector came on board, we went through the boat, every every checklist item, you know, they looked at everything, and then they came to the one box that wasn't checked, And I showed the inspector what the issue was. And he looked at it and he thought for a couple of seconds and he says, here's what you do. Go out, get yourself a broomstick, measure the length between the box and the shelf, put two rubber uh, chair foots on it. And when you're offshore, wedge it between there over the icebox lid. And I said, wow, I would have never, ever thought of that but it works perfectly. (laughs) And when we're offshore, it's nothing for who was ever in the galley to take that little broomstick handle. It's only about, you know, a foot, foot long Mm -hmm. and you just wedge it right under. And boy, I tell you that icebox lid will not open with that being there, but that's what our inspectors do. They know things like that. They know how to accomplish something without you having to write big checks to get it done, which is, which is important. Mm-hmm. I think one of the other things too, Ray, is that people think, well, I have to get that whole checklist done and then get an inspection. You can have an inspector come, you know, a few times and and just kind of talk through things at the beginning and, you know, do just what, what you had done and, and get some ideas and then they'll come back again, you know, and, and you have this constant dialogue. So it, it's all very interesting and, and very helpful. Yeah, that's really cool. Uh, it's It kind of brings me to another point. Um, this race, to me, seemed more approachable, more accessible as as my first race, offshore race. And and, and sometimes it's hard to put a finger on why that is. Do you, do you guys have any idea why that is? I don't know. And pe- people always say that. When yet, 
The Marian race is, I think, more difficult. You've got Buzzards Bay to get through. And if you're going out with an incoming tide and it's blowing 25, that's a tough first leg. So um, maybe it's the hype. Newport's been around a long time. Um, and also, I think that there's a lot that, that has been done with the Marion race over the years, such as the inspection process and the mentoring process. And I think that, you know, and that's been a, a big part of what Ray's been doing over the years is, is promoting that. So I, maybe that, that seems like a big difference in my mind. Yeah, there, that's Deb's spot on. We have a lot of personal contact with our skippers. I mean, I but I was on the phone today with a with a skipper who's done the the race twice, and you know he had concerns uh, that he wanted to talk about, and we're here to do that. We have a lot of very experienced people on the committee that are very open to you know answering questions and talking people through things and so on. So it's a very personal interaction. We know pretty much every skipper. Uh, in fact, the fellow that handles registration, who's actually one of my crew members, he literally knows everybody that's in this race. Uh, I can I can say a boat name or a person and he'll know about them because he's had that interaction. And I think that's that's the thing. I mean, we have a lot of personal contacts with this race. Uh, and from what I hear is that they're positive. So that's that's a good thing. And the other thing is we try to be accommodating. And we try to be honest, you know, with the things we're, we're asking people to do. And I think that's important. You know, every boat doesn't get accepted into this race. We had, we had a situation a couple of years ago where a fellow, uh, and I won't name the brand of the boat, doesn't matter, but a fellow uh, applied to do the race and our acceptance committee said, no, you don't have an offshore capable boat. Well, we got some really nasty letters from him because of that. So what he did was he entered the Bermuda 1-2, which is runs the same year as we do. And uh, so he ran that race. And what happened? He was demasted. And and that just, you know, I felt bad for him, but mm. he didn't have a boat that was capable. So when someone goes to our acceptance committee, there's no guarantee that you're going to be accepted. But as I, I said a while back, if you have a well-founded boat, that's properly inspected, uh, you will get into our race and we'll find ways to make sure you do get into the race. We, we try to help you in that way. That's great. Good. Well, I'm looking forward to some help. So <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, that's kind of the vibe I've always gotten. I, you know, I've always thought about doing this race, but this is, we're finally getting to it. So I'm, I'm super excited this year. Um, and you know, my wife, she said, Ben, are you signing up for the celestial? And I said, no, not this year. Maybe next time. But Ray, you said you've been doing Celestial for a while. Oh yeah, I out of the eight races I've done, four out of the eight were Celestial. Cool. Now I'm not I'm not the Celestial navigator. Uh, so I have um, the Celestial navigator I have has been a you know a friend for a number of years, and mm -hmm. he's a a past Celestial instructor. So you know he's really good. But the first race I did, we went Celestially. And, um, you know, I said, wow, this is really interesting to watch someone come up on deck in a rolling sea and trying to get a star shot or something. And, and it just amazed me the capability of a celestial navigator. It's such a talented uh, endeavor. <laughs> it just I, I tried celestial navigation years ago and I was horrible. I mean, it was, I may have had a bad sextant, but I, I wasn't good at all. And, and I said, well, you know, and I, it's, it's interesting because, you know, you've got to be fairly decent in math. And math wasn't one of my worst subjects. I was actually okay in math. So I was surprised, but I, I wasn't good enough. But watching a celestial navigator take a site, do a calculation, and determine where you are is an amazing thing to me. It's magical to watch it happen. It really is. And, and Ray, aren't our numbers, haven't the fleet, the Celestial fleet, hasn't that grown over the past couple of years? Yes, it has. I think we have, right now, There's there are 44 boats, I think, registered for the race, 45 boats registered. And I, I think that out of that, about 15 of them are Celestial boats. Oh, that's great. That's a great number. Yeah, it is. And I, I expect it to go higher, actually. So yeah. that's, that's pretty good. Yep. 
Okay, cool. Yeah, I've done a fair amount, but it, it, uh, I confess it's been a while and I didn't feel like that was something I wanted to tackle on my first offshore race. So I, next time. Well, you could try doing um, doing it parallel, Ben. I know that's a uh, oh, yeah. oh, time. And- exactly. Oh, I plan to. I plan to shoot the entire trip down, especially since I will be a little more hands off and my students will be sailing the boat. Excellent. Um, that'll afford me plenty of time, hopefully, to uh, adjust my sleep schedule to the stars and whatnot. Yeah, Tabor uh, Tabor Academy, uh, their 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 ship Tabor Boy, yeah, went they went celestially, and they had twelve celestial navigators on board, and these were high school kids taking these sites, and they did a great job. They really, really did. So uh, it's again, I don't do it, but it's an I love watching our navigator plot our courses on a you know on our uh, chart that we have in the in the main saloon so it's it's yeah it's fun it is it is i i did learn to do celestial on a schooner like the Tabor boy and uh it is easier on on that big of a platform much easier all right super so i want to ask you guys since this is my first race are there any things that i should be doing at this point to get myself ready interesting question i i know just constantly looking at the Gulf Stream, constantly looking at those patterns. Um, and I think that that's important too. Uh, it just, there's just a lot that can be done online in, in prep for that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, that's a huge part of the race, isn't it? Getting across the Gulf Stream. Yeah, I think they always say the race is divided into thirds and it's, you know, getting out of Buzzards Bay and getting, you know, through the Gulf Stream and getting to Bermuda. I mean, you know, this is when you when you exit it. Um, so yeah, so it is, it is a big part of it. And, um, I know we talked earlier about having, you know, good sail trimmers. And I think one of the things it, it can get really light that Bermuda high can kick in and you almost have to think that you're in a, you're in a, in a dinghy race and you just got to follow the breeze and you just, you just want to, you're 50 miles from Bermuda and you want to just follow your rum line, but you really can't. You got to race it like a dinghy race. So I, I think you have to just really, again, it's good preparing yourself for you know the different phases of the race and um, getting through each phase. Well, that's good to know. The race is divided into thirds. I like that concept. Yeah. And, and Buzzard's Bay. I mean, look at you know, look at uh, you know the day of the race, and you know, look, look at what. The, the currents and the, the, the tides are going to be doing then. Pull up your Eldridge, look at the flow. Eldridge, yes. I don't think I've ever heard anybody say Eldridge before besides myself. Oh, that's so awesome. I'm a paper girl. I love paper. And Good for you. And as soon as that 2021 Eldridge comes out, I grab it. And, you know, and I, and I always look at the start of the race and say, okay, if the wind's going to be doing this, you know, this is the side of the course you, you're thinking about. So you plot, you know, you're thinking about where you want to be. And sometimes you end up there and sometimes you don't. I, yeah, I've seen some photographs online of the starts. I guess, Ray, you've been posting on Facebook and I've yep. seen some pretty, pretty hairy looking starts there, I think. <laughs> oh, <gosh>. <laughs> One of the things we've sort of joked about among ourselves is that, you know, Newport Bermuda, you know, kind of leaves uh, Narragansett Bay actually, you know, off of Castle Hill. And they never experienced something like 18 miles of Buzzards Bay. And Buzzards Bay can just whip you to death. <laughs> I mean, it's amazing. The last the last two starts, I think, it's been blowing 25 on your nose oh, gosh. going down the bay. And, you know, we're headed to the start line mm-hmm. with everything. Don't forget the incoming tide. With an incoming tide and everything reefed. I mean, it's yeah. it's amazing, and but I have to be honest with you that this is where local knowledge helps. You know, those of us who live on Buzzards Bay, we know where those currents are, and we know where you shouldn't be, and and so that local knowledge piece is really important. You know, it really is. So it's. Um, yeah. I guess I won't share that here. So <laughs> <laughs> no, it's true. You, you really want to find out. I mean, you really want to know how far left on the course you can go and how far right. And you know, depending on on what what the tide's doing at that point in time, that the the one o'clock start. Mm-hmm. So I, I would really research that and kind of be comfortable with with your charts in that area. Make sure they're marked well, and you know, just kind of. Do, do your homework going down there because, as, as Ray said, local knowledge is important. 
Yeah, I've come out of the canal and just gotten so <laughs> hammered coming out of there. It's like, holy moly, I should just go back on the other side of the canal and relax. <laughs> the first time that ever happened to me, I, I, I didn't know what was happening. And and uh, it, it's, uh, I feel your pain. Mm-hmm. But, okay, good. Any other, uh, any other recommendations for uh, past Buzzards Bay besides the, the Gulf Stream? Actually, after the Gulf Stream, uh, you are at the mercy of the weather. And uh, you're going to have a couple of hundred miles there where hopefully you have wind and hopefully it keeps you moving. The issue that you get when you get near Bermuda is you have the Bermuda High and it is absolutely a wall. It is as much a wall as the Gulf Stream is as far as uh, intense conditions. The problem at Bermuda is often the wind goes away and you end up with a lot of patience uh, testing situations where you just try to keep the boat moving. And this is where you get back to your sail trimming. You just try to keep the boat moving ahead because everyone's going to hit it. If it's there, the whole race is going to you know, run into this wall. One of the things our race has done is uh, we've been very progressive. Our race operations uh, chair has been very progressive in looking at VPP uh, ratings and how we, you know, how we rate boats and how they are, how, how they would approach different uh, aspects of the race, whether it's Buzzers Bay or Gulf Stream or the Bermuda High. And so we're, we are running a very progressive uh, velocity projection program is what it is for the race, which Quite honestly, no one else is doing right now. This is, um, I think Newport Bermuda was was going to try it uh, in 2020, but couldn't. Uh, but we are very involved with our chairman, our, our, our uh, PRO chair is very involved with uh, the Ocean Racing Association, the people who developed the ORR rule. Uh, and we are going to do something that's a little bit ahead of the curve for the 2021 race. And it's with the whole idea of leveling the playing field to make it as equal as possible between boats, because as you know, with handicapping, that just doesn't work. It, it's just hard, hard to do. The only way you can do it is to identify different parts of that race and be able to put a number to different aspects of the race. You know, the, the how the how your boat performs out of Buzzards Bay is totally different than how it performs in the Gulf Stream, which is totally different than how it performs south of the Gulf Stream, which is totally different than how it performs 100 miles north of Bermuda. So this new program will allow us to balance those and be uh, much, much fairer in the uh, the rating system. Will everyone be happy? Probably not. But that's okay. No one's ever happy with the rating anyway, <laughs> which is fine. Uh, but, you know, we're, we're really progressive in that way. In fact, um, I was told by the technical director of the offshore rating uh, people that we're probably one of the more progressive races uh, in the country in the way we, we look at that. And I, and I you know, I, I have to say that we have been uh, working hard to try to make it balanced because there's a lot of difference. The boat that has a rating above one, the boat that has a rating below one, uh, there can be a really huge difference in those boats. But we try to make it as fair as as possible. And we'll continue to work on it because it's important. Mm, that's really neat. Super excited. All right, let's 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 wrap it up. I want to ask you both one question, which is um, – what are you most looking forward to in 21 for the race? That, that's, that's a great question. A, just to get on that starting line and, and go on a, on a good boat with people that you really enjoy. And you, you remember every race that you've done. And one of my most memorable was going 50 hours um, with uh, an asymmetrical up. And that, there was nothing like that. And I just remember going, you know, through the night, just swapping off, you know, balancing yourself on the shrouds and, and just like staring up into the sky was the most brilliant, brilliant sky. And I just, that's what I'm looking forward to. Just, I love being offshore. There's nothing like it. Beautiful. 
Right. You know, right along with what Deb said, when in fact Deb and her husband Mike brought a boat back from uh, Bermuda uh, with my wife and I a couple of races ago. Two races ago, and, yeah. Yeah. And, and one of the things that Deb pointed out that I never, you know, this is, you know, one of those, it's so obvious, it's silly that you don't recognize it. But Deb pointed out the azure blue water of the ocean. You know, as you get, you go north of Bermuda. And ever since she mentioned that, you know, I just, every time we're offshore, I look for that. It's such a good feeling for me to see that water because then, you know, you're in deep water and your, your, your boat and you are someplace that many people in this world never get to see. And it's just a, uh, just a great feeling. It really is. And I'm looking forward to that. I'm looking forward to my crew. They're great. They're great people. They're great sailors. Uh, and we have fun together. And we, we, we bust on each other, which is key, you know. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> it, it, it is, yeah. It's really key. Uh, and uh, we have fun. And it's just a good time. And I can't tell you how special it is when you take that uh, compass heading at St. David's Light and you're there. It's unbelievable, that feeling. Cool. Getting me excited, guys. Getting me very excited. All right. Any any last words? Any last things you wanted to mention before we wrap it up? No, other than there, there's nothing like it. It's it's a great experience, and uh, you're going to get the best of sailing and and the worst of sailing all in a five or six day period. But it's it's all memorable, and it's all wonderful. <laughs> yeah, that's a good way of putting it. All right. Well, I appreciate your time. This has been really um, an enjoyable conversation, I must say. It's been great, Ben. Thank you very much for yeah. Thank for you, Ben. It's uh, very interesting, I'm, and I'm glad. I'm glad we can do it. And I'm wishing you all the best in in you doing the race. Mm, yeah, yeah. No, it's gonna be great. It's gonna be great. Thanks for listening. You can subscribe to the Morning Muster wherever you get your podcasts, or visit morsealpha.com. You can also find us on Instagram at Morselfa Expeditions. The music is by Tim Erickson, my brother, and you can find him at timericksonmusic.com. Until next time, stay found. <laughs>